Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Genesis chapter 8 verses 15 and 20 says this. Then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that, uh, of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Tile, my message this morning is called After the Flood. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray that you would release today the spirit of an overcomer. I thank you and I praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, To be perfectly honest, today is actually more of a testimony uh, than it is a sermon. Towards the end of every year, I always pray and and I kind of get a phrase uh, for the following year from the Lord. I remember towards the end of 2010, felt the Holy Spirit say to me, 2011, open heaven. Now I was pretty excited about that, but it took on a whole new meeting come the second week of January in 2011. You see, I got a house by the banks of the Brisbane River. And in, that, in the second week of January 2011, the river rose to the point. I got a double-story house. It's across the road from the Brisbane River. Across the road is a fence. Uh, and then there's a 20-metre drop down of the Brisbane River. But in the second week of January, uh, the river rose to the point that it went through the uh, metre and a half through the second story of our house. The very next day, that the Bible college that I was running at the time, which is in a Brisbane suburb called New Farm, which is by the banks of the Brisbane River, had about a metre of water go through that as well. So in the space of two days, my home uh, and my workplace were completely inundated and we embarked on the craziest year of our entire lives. You can imagine that when you have an unusual year, you learn some unusual lessons. And so today I want to talk to you about different lessons I learnt after having gone through that experience. Before I do that, in, in just a few moments, I'm going to show you some video footage. And basically what had happened was that when my house was getting all that you know all the stuff in my house was getting thrown out um, one of the guys that came to help was the church cameraman and so I remember when he came I, I rang him up I said have you got your camera he said yeah and I said listen I want to do some video footage of what my house looks like when we find it just in case I need to show the insurance company and then when he did when he came I thought well you know what all my family live here in Victoria. All my wife's family live just as far away in far north Queensland in Cairns. None of them were going to be able to come and help us. And so I thought what I might do is actually do a little documentary uh, to show what it was like during the Brisbane floods. As I mentioned to you that after our house got flooded, our, the Bible college got flooded, which is one of our church campuses. And the following weekend, uh, churches all around the world were going to receive an offering for our church because of the loss of that particular campus. Uh, And so what uh, the media team was going to do was they were going to put together a video that they could put on the net and churches around the world could show. But the problem was the church cameraman was at my house. So uh, the video that they put together, most of the footage was actually of my house. Some of it uh, was actually of uh, the Bible college and the church campus. So basically what I'm about to show you was essentially church news uh, the Sunday after the Brisbane flood. So why don't you turn to the screen? If we could turn that on, that'd be awesome.
I'm here at uh, the suburb of Goodna, which is where I live. Um, we're actually going to go clean my house. And um, Goodna's probably one of the worst hit areas, one of the low-lying areas along the Brisbane River. That's debris that we've got to cross to get over to where I am, so that's why there's no road access anywhere. Um, this is debris taken by the river in the flood. Hey everybody, uh, this is my house. Um, if you can see, it's probably around about two thirds of the way up the windows on the top level uh, was underwater. Um, uh, all the houses around here are the same. Uh, I probably won't show you too many because a lot of people are very upset and um, you know, I just want to take care of their privacy. But what we'll do is uh, I'm more than happy to show you through my house and let you just kind of know what it was, what the flood here was like. Um, and yeah, and we're standing in, in front of my house and my feet are up to the ankle in mud. So all this silt and debris, uh, you know, no, no water pressure cleaner is going to get that off in a hurry. Sorry. So this was completely inundated, absolutely inundated. Uh, yeah, there was nothing salvageable about it. And uh, yeah, this is, this is all junk now. Make sure you wipe your feet before you come in. This is uh, this is our kitchen. Uh, as you can, I'll just show you over here. The watermark went about this with this high here. So anything from there down is just ruined. Uh, fridges on the ground, freezer knocked over. They all obviously floated. Absolutely stunk, absolutely stunk. That was full of disgusting stuff. Again, the sheets are dry, which means the bed floated. Uh, our clothes uh, are pretty well ruined. Um, yeah, so. This is the lounge room. Um, the couch is on my TV's gone, that's I'm devastated about that. Um, so, and you'll notice the plasterboard obviously is already falling off, so this needs to be totally redone. Uh, I'll talk to the insurance company on Monday about whether they give me a new house or whether they rebuild. Five lessons I learned after the Brisbane floods. The first lesson I learnt was this. I learnt more about God 
which is really interesting because I'd been a Christian a long time and I thought I knew everything there was to know about God. But one of the things I learned about him was something I didn't have a revelation of properly before and that was this. He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. The Bible says in Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. During this time, I had people ask me questions and they'd say things like, you know, Ben, did this rock your faith in God and that sort of, sort of thing? And I said, listen, I've been a Christian for too long. I've been through too much stuff with the Lord. A little bit of water in my house isn't going to get me to turn my back on God. But here's the thing. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have any trouble. But it means that if you do, you've got someone who's with you to help you every step of the way. Even in the midst of this, in the midst of this time, God was helping me. God helped me even before the flood came. A week before the flood came, I was doing my devotions and I was reading how the Bible says, uh, Bible said that the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they left suddenly and quickly, they evacuated. And as I read that, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're going to do that soon. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> am I leaving home? Am I, you know, um, am I changing jobs? I didn't know what it meant. All that week, there was all this rain that actually been rained for about six weeks. And then all, there was all this flooding all around through central Queensland. All that weekend, it started getting really bad. And it started really, uh, there started even being flooding uh, west of us uh, in Toowoomba. And I remember on the Monday seeing all that flooding. I talked to my neighbours and I said, do you think anything's going to happen to us? And they said, no, we'll be fine because we've got, there's a new dam since the last flood that should catch it all and that sort of thing. And there wasn't any warnings or anything like that. And uh, I remember I went to bed on the Monday night, woke up on the Tuesday morning and the Holy Spirit said to me, this is what I was talking about, get out of here. So I was like, okay. And so I turned to my wife. I said, babe, we've got to get out of here. She said, because she's a banana farmer's daughter from far north Queensland and she's tough. She said, I want to stay and see what happens. And I said, no, we've got to get out of here. I felt God speak to me. And so uh, we just um, moved, went downstairs, moved everything downstairs up to the top story, which in the end was completely useless. Uh, I just did that because I, didn't, I thought we'd be flooded in, but in my wildest dreams, I didn't actually think that our house would get flooded. Um, we only took uh, you know, a couple of changes of clothes, some basics and that sort of thing. Uh, I was even going to leave the dog behind. Uh, on the back porch upstairs I'd set up some food and the dog's bed and that sort of thing and the dog's name was Oscar and I went around looking for Oscar and then eventually I found him downstairs in the laundry in the corner cowering and whimpering and I thought to myself animals have a sixth sense about these sort of things I thought better just take him and so we took him put him in the car we took both our cars and we drove out and I found out later that within two hours we wouldn't have been able to drive our cars out that night, they were evacuating people from our street in boats, but not me. Because <laughs> he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have any trouble, but it means that if you do, you've got someone who's with you to help you every step of the way. The second thing I learnt was this. I learnt more about priorities. The flood really reinforced to me about what's important. You know, the first thing people would ask me when we left was, they say, Ben, did you get your valuables out? I said, yes, every one of them. My wife, my three sons and my dog. And I said, but everything else we lost. But here's the thing. Everything we lost was replaceable. Everything we saved was irreplaceable. Jesus says this in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. We evacuated on the Monday and then, uh, sorry, uh, 
sorry, on the Tuesday, and then oh, we didn't hear any news about where we were living. I woke up on the Wednesday morning still unsure about what was happening. I had a text message from a senior pastor, Paul Geeling. He said, Ben, I'm so sorry to hear about what's happening in your area. And I thought, I don't know what's happening in our area. So as you do in a natural disaster, you listen to the, turn on the ABC emergency radio, and they were interviewing a man uh, who was the mayor of Ipswich, which is where we live, a man by the name of Paul Pasali. And the ABC reporter said to him, Paul, are the floods hip hit Ipswich first. How bad is it? He said, it's pretty bad. And they said, what's the worst suburb? And he named my suburb. And they said, what's the worst street? And he named my streets. And then they said to him, how bad is it? Has it started entering houses yet? And he says, yeah, it hasn't peaked yet, but already in that street, it's over the roof of first story dwellings. As soon as he said that for the first time, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew that we were flooded. Got a phone call from Paul Geeling. He said, Ben, are you okay? I just started crying on the phone. I remember he hearing him turn to Joe and say, uh, Ben's not doing too good. Uh, then, after, <laughs> then after talking to him for a little while, I did what every grown man does. I rang my mum. And so I rang my mum. And as I'm talking to her, she goes, are you okay? And I just started crying on the phone. As I, was, as I was doing that, I heard my dad say to her, give me the phone. So dad grabbed the phone and he said, Ben, are you okay? I said, yes. He goes, is Trish okay? I said, yes. He goes, are the boys okay? I said, yes. How about Oscar the dog? Is he okay? I said, yes. And then he said this, well, it's not that bad then, is it? said it could have been worse he said I heard what happened in the Lockyer Valley yesterday people got flooded people got swept away they're looking for bodies but no one got died in your flood and you know what he's right everything we lost was replaceable all we lost was stuff but isn't it funny how in our society that very often we get our priorities a little bit mixed up well we will sacrifice the things that are irreplaceable in order of the pursuit of the stuff that is replaceable. Well, let me tell you as somebody who lost everything for a couple of months, all the stuff is replaceable. But there are other things more important which are irreplaceable. When I got a after a couple of days out, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. Uh, he lived nearby uh, where I lived and and he said, "Ben, we can actually uh, stand across the road from your house now. So I said, okay. And so my wife and I, we parked. We had to walk 45 minutes. At some points, we were knee deep in water. Uh, and then we eventually, we managed to stand across the road from our house uh, on at the park across the road. Uh, and when we got there, I saw two of my neighbours, uh, Russell and Alan. They were there. They had a couple of tinnies there tied up. Uh, and um, I just thought they must have got there that morning because the day before, it was, you know, the flood was very high. And so I said to them, I said, hey, guys, um, when did you get here? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, we just got here now. I said, when did you get here? When, when did you come back? And they said, well, we haven't left. I said, what do you mean? They said, we've been here the whole time. I said, what, for three days? And they said, yeah. I said, in what? They said, these tinnies. So what had happened was that they had, for three days, tied their, uh, tied their tinnies to a telephone pole out the front of their house uh, in the very centre of the Brisbane floods. And they've, they're experienced boaties, but they've never experienced a current like it. Uh, there was a number of times when they thought they were going to capsize, and they said they saw coming down the river uh, shipping containers, uh, cars, semi-trailers, uh, light aircraft. Uh, I, I said to them, did you stay here the whole time? And they said, no, uh, we left for a little while. The police came around to us uh, in their boat and said, you've got to get out of here. We said, we're not leaving our houses. And the police said, well, you better get out of here soon because uh, the Muggle car ferry up the river is coming loose uh, and it's probably going to start heading your way. And they said, okay. And so then they left. <laughs> and they got out of there and then they went back later. 
after talking to them, I left back, went back to our accommodation. I thought to myself, mate, those guys, they're tough. Me, I'm a wuss. Those guys rode it out for three days, risking their lives out the front of their houses in their tinnies. Me, I just cut and run. <laughs> but upon reflection, I realise that not only are they, are they tough, but they're also a little bit crazy as well. One of them has kids. I wonder what the kids were thinking for three days. How's my toys or how's my dad? Sometimes we get our priorities a little bit mixed up. The third thing uh, that I learnt was this. I learnt more about the church. Now that was interesting because I've been going to church my whole life and I thought I knew everything there was to know about the church. But I had a massive revelation about the church this time that I've never had before. Huge. Uh, And I want to share that with you today. The revelation that I had about the church was this, that I need it. Now that's a big deal because I'm a pastor. I'm used to the church needing me, but not necessarily me needing the church. I'm used to the fact that if, even if I don't feel like it, I've got to come and do my thing. And you'll learn that you've just got to ride things out and you've just got to make it happen. And so subconsciously you kind of think, well, the church needs me, but I don't really need the church. Until... I got hit with something so hard, we couldn't handle it all by ourselves. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labour. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. You know, you may have heard of people that spent a lot of time in evacuation centres. We didn't spend a second in an evacuation centre. Soon as people from the church heard that we were, their house got flooded, we had a number of families come and approach us and say that they were willing to leave their houses that day so that we could stay in their house until we needed something else. And so we went and we stayed. It was actually in Nathan and Amy Tyrrell's house. Uh, they moved out and we stayed there uh, for a week. After that, some other friends of ours said, you can come and stay at our house for three weeks and we'll move out. So we went and stayed there for three weeks. That entire time that we were in accommodation like that, my wife didn't cook a meal. We had that much potato, bacon, lasagna. It was unbelievable. As I told you, all my family's downhill, my wife's family's up north. And people were saying, they were ringing us up every day, saying, listen, we need to come and help you, we want to do something. We said, listen, we've got nowhere for you to stay. And we said, don't worry about it. Our church family's taking care of it. A lot of people at that time struggled to get a rental property, but friends of ours from the church, they said, contacted us and they said our rental property is coming available it's near where your house uh, house is you can live there uh, and it was literally the day that we were moving out of the other house that we moved into this one in the four weeks when we were staying in other people's houses my uh, one of my sons Joshua was turning five and uh, I said to my wife I said babe we can't do anything for him you know, I mean, I mean we've got, you know, we got so much going on. He's only young. He won't know what's going on. Uh, let's just make no, not make a big deal of it. And when we get sorted, uh, we'll just have a proper birthday party for him then. But on the day of his birthday, some friends of ours from church rang us and they said, we're coming over. And they brought, uh, they brought decorations. They brought a birthday cake. They brought presents. And we had a birthday party for Joshua on his birthday. It's a good thing to be part of a local church. When we evacuated, I only had two shirts. And I remember on the Sunday after the flood, we were, I was released. I didn't have to come to church if I didn't want to that day. But my wife and I said, look, we just want to go to church. And so we just went to church and I was wearing my last clean shirt. 
When I got there, one of my friends, a South African man in his 50s named Robert, he came up to me and, and he had these shirts on a hanger. And he said, Pastor Ben, I've got these shirts for you. And I said, thank you, Robert. I said, where'd you get them from? And he said, I got them from DFO. Now, the DFO he got them from actually got flooded. So I said, how'd you get them from DFO? And this is what happened. The week before the flood, he's in DFO. And he's walking past this store named Giordano's. And he sees these shirts. And he thinks to himself, I must buy these shirts. And so he goes and he buys these shirts. And he comes home and he shows them to his wife. And he's buying them for himself. He said, Esther, look at these shirts. And she looked at him and said, what are you doing with shirts like that? A grown man your age, what are you doing with shirts? These were the shirts. The first one was bright fluorescent orange. <laughs> the second one was bright fluorescent pink. And the third one was pink with chocolate stripes. And this is what she said to him. You have never worn shirts like that before. They're the kind of shirts Pastor Ben would wear. And so he didn't even take the tags off. And, the very next, and then they heard we were flooded. So he came to church and he brought the shirts for me. I'm glad I went to church that day. It's a good thing to be part of a local church. You know how in our society sometimes we're a bit consumer-minded and we can start getting a bit consumer-minded about the church. Oh, I love that church over there. Oh, the preaching's just amazing. And oh, over there, the worship team. Oh, it's just divine. And oh, there, the kids' program. They've really got it going on. And what happens is this. The people start hopping around and moving from church to church with a consumer-minded mentality, not staying there very long. And then what happens is they come out with these crazy descriptions of the church, saying silly things like there's no love in that place. But the reality is you weren't there long enough for anybody to get to know you. And more than the preaching and more than the teaching and more than the worship style, we need to be part of a Christian community. We need to be part of somewhere... Somewhere where people know about us. And even if you're like me, you only get hit with something hard once every 20 years. It's a good thing to be part of the local church. Amen. Fourth one is this. I learned more about Australia. People always say to me, they'd say, say, Ben, what's it like being in a natural disaster? And I say, well, if you're going to be in a natural disaster, best place to be is Australia. Seriously. Because in Australia... People help out the battler. People will come and support you. Not only were we helped by our church and and the body of Christ, but we were helped by all different parts of the community. I remember one day I was at home and I was just there by myself. I was waiting for an insurance assessor to come and I had a, was working on my laptop. And, and then I noticed um, just walking down the street, these bunch of big Samoan boys uh, with, their, with brooms and shovels. And one of them comes up to me and he says, Hey, bro. He said, you need any help, bro? And I said, actually, yeah. I said, because what happens is when you get flooded, you get all this silt, like that thick, just coming through your property. And it's the last thing you worry about, but our house had been emptied and stuff. And, and I just said, look, if you wouldn't mind, if you could dig up the silt and throw it on the nature strip, that would be awesome. The council will come and take it away. And he said, no worries, bro. So they start working and they're doing all that. And then um, I'm just sitting back on my porch doing some work. And all of a sudden, one of the boys comes up to me and he starts witnessing to me. He said, hey, bro, do you go to church, bro? (laughs) He says, because we go to the Mormon church. He says, do you go to the church, bro? I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor at a Pentecostal church. He goes, oh, see ya. And then he just walked off. (laughs) Remember another day we were cutting out our house and removing all the, uh, you know, the the gyprock and all the fixtures and the fittings and 7 a.m. in the morning. 
these guys rock up, a couple of Aussies, and they yell out to me. They said, hey, mate, do you need a hand? I said, yeah, guys, that'd be awesome. I said, if you could stay downstairs, we're going to throw the jip rock down there. If you could take it out to the nature strip, that'd be great. They said, no worries, mate. And they stayed all day. After a few hours, I went down to them. I said, guys, thank you so much for helping me. I'd never met them before. They were complete strangers. And I said, where are you guys from? They said, oh, we're from Springwood, mate. I said, Springwood? Now, there's a suburb in Brisbane called Springwood, which is about 30 minutes away. And uh, there was a lot of road closures at the time, so I just thought, you know, I wanted it, wondered how long it took them to get there that morning. So I said, how long did it take you to get here? About 45 minutes? And they said, no, mate, we left last night. Wow. I said, you left last night? It doesn't take you that long to get here from Springwood. And they said, no, mate, not Springwood, Queensland. Springwood Blue Mountains, New South Wales. <laughs> I said... What are you doing here? And they said, well, we saw your television. We saw your um, house on, sorry, we saw your street on the news last night. And so we just hopped in our cars, drove overnight. Here we are. And I said, thank you so much for helping me. I really appreciate it. And they said, what do you do, mate? I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church. And they said, really? Well, you go tell your church a couple of atheists come and help you today. <laughs> Later on that same day, a group of people turned up with yellow T-shirts and on the front it said Church of Scientology. And they went upstairs and they were cleaning the house. They were really nice people. One was a bit suspicious. He started jumping up and down all the couches. But the rest of them were completely fine. So we got helped by those groups. We got helped by Buddhists. We got helped by different businesses in town. We got helped by all different groups in the community and the body of Christ. And so did my neighbours. And the big takeaway for me from all of this was you couldn't tell the difference. And neither could my neighbours. So the greatest conviction I've had since this experience is this, that if as the body of Christ we're going to impact our community, we need to make sure that we don't neglect offering them the thing that no one else can offer them. There's lots of groups that can offer good practical help and that's a good thing to do. And our society, you need to do that because if you don't, you don't get a platform. But the reality, thing, reality is that doesn't differentiate us. The thing that differentiates us is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power and the presence of God. You know, the Bible talks about in Exodus 33 verse 15, and it says that how, uh, how Moses was leading the people of Israel and, and, they were, and God was basically sick of them. He'd had enough. And God said to me, he said, listen, Moses, I've had enough of the people. You go and you take them and you send them off into the promised land. I'll send my angel ahead of you and I'll give you victory. But me and my presence, we're staying here. And Moses says, well, if you don't come with us, we're not going. And he says, why? And he says, what's going to differentiate us from all the other people groups on the face of the earth? Lest your presence goes with us. Make no mistake, in a society like ours, good works does not differentiate us. The thing that differentiates us is the power and the presence of God. And the reality is this, that um, th that, that is true Christ-likeness. True Christ-likeness isn't just being nice. It's demonstration of the power and the presence of God. Sometimes people can grow up in, in churches that don't believe in the power and the presence of God. And, and you can tell because they've got pictures of Jesus around the place and He's got long blonde hair, white porcelain skin, flowing robes, surrounded by children and little lambs. I remember seeing pictures of Jesus like that and thinking to myself, Jesus must have been a hippie. But he wasn't. He was a chippy. He was a carpenter. And he wasn't always nice. 
but he was always powerful. You know, this, there's a passage of Scripture, it's actually in three of the Gospels, talks about when Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And the Jesus, some parts of the body of Christ believe exists, you could have interpreted it to be like this. Peter comes up to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, what's wrong, Pete? My mother-in-law, she's not doing too good. Really? Yeah, can you come and visit her? Of course. Where is she? She's in here. Okay. How you going, sweetheart? <coughs> I'm not doing too good, Jesus. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. Oh, you poor thing. Somebody go make her some chicken noodle soup. Now listen here. I'll just say a little prayersy, where's he come and visit you in the morning? That's not what happened. This is what happened. Peter goes to Jesus. Jesus, what? My mother-in-law, she's sick. Where is she? Over here. In here? Get up. Now go get me a coffee. Because the Bible says she got up and served Him. True Christ-likeness isn't just being nice. It's demonstration of the power and the presence of God. And the last lesson I learned was this. I learned more about myself. You learn what you really like under pressure. You don't know what you really like when everything's going well. The Bible says in James 1, 2 to 3, My brethren, count all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That phrase, testing of your faith, actually means exposure of your faith. What it means is you see what your faith's really like under trial. You don't see what it's really like when everything's going well. And that whole year, I was in situations where I was at my limit, where I felt like I was being tested, where I felt like I didn't know what to do. But my testimony today is this, that every time I hit that point, God did something. You know, the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. I used to think that meant not by might, nor by power, by my Spirit. That must mean I don't have to do anything and God's going to do everything. But that's not actually what it means. That phrase, by my Spirit, I heard eminent Bible teacher Frank Damasio teach on this. He says that phrase, by my Spirit, is like when you're at full stretch. It's like when you're an archer, bow and arrow. When you're at full stretch, when you can't do any more, when you're done, when you're finished, when you're through, that's when God moves. And so often, that whole year I hit that point, and each time I did, God did something. There was one day I was waiting for an insurance assessor, I was working on a laptop, and the laptop battery started going dead, and I thought, I want to keep working on this, there was no power. And I knew one of our church campuses only 15 minutes away had a portable generator. So I thought, I'm going to go over there and grab it and come back and I should be okay. So I drove out, grabbed the generator, put it in the car, drove back to my street. But this time when I got back to my street, two kilometres from home, the street was blocked off. And the army was there and they're turning people away. I get there and I thought, well, they're turning people away who don't live here. So I just drove up, I wound the window down. I said to the soldier, it's okay, mate. I live down here, uh, you can let me through. He said, I'm sorry, sir, there's no cars allowed on the road. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I live here. I'm one of the flood victims. I've got this generator that is too heavy for me to carry two kilometres. I said, you've got to let me through. He, just said, he said, I'm sorry, sir, but the council have said there's no cars allowed on the road. They're removing debris. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, you're going to have to park and walk. So I pulled to the side, grabbed the generator, started walking. I don't know 
how much I'd eaten and how much I slept. That whole period was like I was in a daze. And I'd walk about 30 metres or 50 metres with this generator and then I'd just, it just got too heavy and I'd just put it down. I'd pick it up and I'd put it down. I started getting, I started getting so frustrated. I was standing on this bridge near a creek and everything in me wanted to chuck the generator in the creek. But I didn't because I knew who it belonged to. <laughs> then for the first time, the thoughts start coming. Why'd you let this happen to me? Haven't I done everything you want me to do? Why have you let this happen to me? The moment those thoughts came, a gentleman walked beside me in a purple t-shirt and he said, you shouldn't be carrying that, sir. Follow me. And he picked it up and I said, okay. And so we walked and just a little bit further along, there was a whole group of people with purple t-shirts. It was a community group from somewhere. There was a man with a wheelbarrow and he, he put that in the, the generator, the wheelbarrow and said to the man and pointed to me and said, walk this gentleman home. I said, thank you. Okay. And he walked me all the way home. It doesn't sound like much, but it was to me. Every time I hit my limit, every time I was done, every time I hit a wall, every time I was finished, every time I was through, God did something. And you know what? He'll do the same for you. Amen. Maybe you're in a trial and it's not a flood, but it's something else. And you feel like throwing your hands up in the air or turning your back on the Lord. Can I tell you, if you hold on a little bit longer, by His Spirit, He will do something to help you to continue on in the thing that He's calling you to do. Amen. Some of you here well-educated, especially like Pastor Ben, and you're thinking to yourself, thanks, Ben, for the testimony, but um, what's it got to do with the Scripture you read at the start, Genesis chapter 8? Well, in Genesis chapter 8, we pick up the story, and there's a guy named Noah who's just been in a flood. And what, we pick up the story where he's actually leaving his emergency accommodation called an ark and he brings down his wife his three sons and his pets and he'd lost his house and everything as well but before rebuilding the first thing he does is he establishes an altar and he worships the Lord what is he doing he's giving testimony and declaring that God is a promise keeper well I just want to let you know that today that's basically what I'm doing on behalf of my wife my three sons and my dog five years later I want to let you know that God is a promise keeper. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Come hell or high water, He'll see you through. When the enemy comes in like a flood, He'll raise a standard. He's an awesome and a mighty God. Amen. You know, I've had people say to me that said, Ben, we knew you in 2011 and didn't know you were flooded. And I said, why is that? They said, well, you didn't act like a flood victim. And I was like, well, I don't know what that means. But I do know this, that if it hadn't been for the Lord, I wouldn't have been able to get through it. And maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I be so bold as to say that you need to? That when you become a Christian, you get to go to heaven after you die, which is awesome. But you have a relationship with a living God right here on earth. And even if you do experience some trouble in your life, He's with you all the way to walk you through it and see you out the other side. So can I invite you just... We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.